getting the band back together. The hottest, hippest, and most destructive band in history is ready for an encore. Yeah! Blues Brothers 2000, ready PG-13. First party, February 6th. Welcome to another episode of Cinemarcade 2000. Uh, this is the podcast where uh, we talk about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. My name is Steve Guntley, and uh, thanks to this movie that we watched today, I learned that the way to update something and make it seem cool and relevant is to add 2000 after it. That's really all you need to do. Uh, you also need to add magic? Yes, you do need to add magic, which is a good thing, because I have two voodoo-cursed zombies here uh, that I now command to tell uh, their names. Uh, I'm Justin, but I'm actually not a zombie. I'm a skeleton. Oh, excuse so, me. I'm sorry. I'm look, sorry. It's very different, and I appreciate it's you. It's a whole different vibe. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I Look, I, I'm trying. <laughs> and I'm J-Man. Who's just a zombie. She's not yeah. going to fight me on that. Just a zombie. We're all zombies here. We are uh, talking today about Blues Brothers 2000. This is closing out yet another miniseries for us, another little two-episode, one-two punch, where we're uh, bunching together the two movies of a property and talking about them all in one big chunk so it's all fresh and relevant. And uh, peek behind the curtain for those of you listening, it's late and we are tired. And these two were kind enough to come over and uh, do a bonus episode so that we didn't fall behind because I'm anal retentive. So we're all a little slap happy. <laughs> and uh, I think it's for the better because this is not a movie that you need to be 100% alert for. I'm Blues definitely a little nap happy. A little nap happy, a little slap happy. fell asleep with the dog. It was a yeah, good time. That was very um, true. Yeah, this movie was an experience. A great experience. You know, oh, okay. We're, all right, so we're already coming out uh, uh, countering the common uh, opinion of this movie. I'm starting I think. to think, I, I've seen this movie before a long time ago, and I'm mm-hmm. starting to think that I fell asleep in the middle of it. Okay. That's, I mean, because that's fair. some of it seemed familiar, and some of it really didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, I the back say, half. <laughs> I, yeah, the back half is, uh, it seems like it is from a very different movie than the rest of the movie. Uh, I, I, bizarrely and kind of uh, uh, astounding my expectations, I think I'm coming down on J-Band's side on this movie a little bit, too. I had a really good time watching this movie, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out some of its flaws. First, let's learn a little bit about this movie. It's called Blues Brothers 2000, but it was released February 6th, 1998. It's directed by John Landis and once again written by Landis and Dan Aykroyd, and it stars Dan Aykroyd, John Goodman, Joe Morton, J. Evan Bonifant, Nia Peoples, Kathleen Freeman, Daryl Hammond, the Blues Brothers Band, and it has appearances by Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Erica Badu, Blues Traveler, B.B. King, Wilson Pickett, and so goddamn many amazing musicians that turned up for this movie. It is and some definitely like blues bona fides like Bo Diddley and Coco Taylor. Oh my god, yeah, some huge names going on in here. Um, and there also felt like there's a lot more actual blues music in this one. There actually is, yeah, you're right, you're right. There's definitely more like authentic blues music and not just soul music. Um, yeah, this movie was obviously a very long time in the making. It's a sequel that came 18 years after the original, so that's quite a large gap. And you might argue that the sequel is not strictly necessary or was necessarily being asked for, given that half of the titular duo uh, was no longer alive. Uh, so it's kind of how are you going to sort of recapture the magic and I think that the answer, and I, I, like I said, I'm coming down like favorably on this movie uh, overall, but I think we do need to acknowledge that this is basically just the same movie again. Right? <laughs> like, this is kind of just There's the same no mission movie. from God this time. There's it's no not, mission from there's God. No divine but there mission. is God. There is God. Yeah, we do prove that God exists. Somebody... Killer song, so good. They played it twice in the opening, John the Revelator, and yeah. in the gospel scene, John the Revelator. Yeah, such a fucking slap. It's a great they, song. He definitely, I think he got a mission from God. Yeah, but I know, he definitely the did. Blues Brothers, and by that I mean the Blues Brother, did not. The one that is, yeah, still with us. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this movie. If you if you want an idea of how long this was in development. 
The character of Buster Blues was originally supposed to be Macaulay Culkin. Oh, wow. And by the time this movie came out, Macaulay Culkin was already, like, retired, basically. Like, he'd stopped. He, they, they were trying to get him, like, at the height of his popularity. So, 93, 94. It took a long time to get this done. Uh, now, the original pitch that they had was that Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman were going to team up with Jim Belushi, who has actually toured with the Blues Brothers on stage before. He goes by the name of Brother Z Blues. Uh, but he was unavailable to appear in the film because he had a contract with a, uh, for a TV pilot. And so they couldn't go ahead with it. But also the network, ironically, the studio rejected their initial pitch, which was that the three of them are going to be trying to save the orphanage because they thought it was too similar to the original. But they still kind of went pretty damn similar to the original. Um, so it's still not clear on why they went with this title because the movie was never intended to be released in the year 2000. Like it was not something that they just like loved so much they wanted to release early. So it's it's a bit of a confusing title. They, they made the movie and then we're trying to figure out what to call it. And they're like, well, if we say 2000, maybe two years from now, the remote control car technology will be available <laughs> and it'll make more sense. Absolutely. <laughs> and. I, you know, I, I think uh, the big question that everybody had when they were seeing this and why it didn't do well at the box office is because nobody knew if they needed to watch the previous 1,999 Blues Brothers. Like, it's kind of oh, a big thing. I had the same problem with 101 so, Dalmatians. What was yeah. your experience with this, Steve? Did you watch it when you were a kid? This was the movie I watched before the original Blues Brothers, yeah, mm -hmm. which I think is might be true for all of us most people was that true yeah. for you as well i can't remember which one i watched first like i definitely both of them came alive in my consciousness at the same time yeah yeah because i think my we my parents rented this one like because they had nostalgia for the first movie and they liked it and then they rented the second the first one after that they couldn't remember if it was like a really hard r-rated movie or yeah not. and um, again as i mentioned last week the blues the the, not the band brother the band hot band boys really mm. loved the blues brothers and quote it excessively so um but i also got the cd to this one uh and i was shocked i i remember i remembered every single song every single lyric i was i was it was like i was just singing along bopping my feet like i was like nassau got funk it nassau got soul uh <laughs> along with the whole thing it's like it, it's like the last what 20 years have not existed it's like it was like i was completely on board and i knew every lyric so is that how long it's been since you watched this and you still just knew probably it yeah okay, but you probably listened to sound i listened to recently. the sound i told you before I, like i wore both of the cds out i yeah. listened to them so much absolutely. i i love how absolutely different of CDs we owned as kids. <laughs> you um, had very, very different CDs. Yeah. I mean, I, I admit to owning some of your CDs when I was in high was school. But Lincoln yeah. Park, Billy Talent, Megadeth. Yeah. It was a very different genre. Did you own cake? I did. Yes. Well, no, I own cake now. I should clarify. Oh. I was not cool enough then. Now I'm really cool. Frank Sinatra. As an adult, like I appreciate my, cake. Like, one oh. of like, my theme. <laughs> Yeah, I had a little bit of that. I mean, I went kind of hog wild with my CDs once I hit like high school and like they started becoming more cheap and and my music taste started getting more eclectic. I do remember that the very first CD that I bought with my own money was Phil Collins No Jacket Required. <laughs> oh, because man. I was I, I had Benjamin Button's disease and I'm aging in reverse. I was an 80-year-old man at birth. Mine was Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. Um, not even the good, no, Hybrid Theory is the good one. It's the first one. Yeah, that's the good one. My Yours is the bad one. My sister had the, uh, like, what, I know that weird you mail away when you get like you like pay the columbia the house yeah. and so like i would like beg her to let me get her cheap cds and i would like try to get soundtracks because i love soundtracks um and also like no doubt oh oh no doubt was an early cd for me yeah. tragic kingdom was oh, man. an early cd it was tragic kingdom and uh, the goo goo dolls i bought them both from a columbia records when wow, i hit the point tangent, but yeah yeah when i hit the point that i could actually buy music I hit the point where the the internet hit the point where I could just find music, YouTube, uh, LimeWire, Apple Music, like all of these things were beyond the early stages of like, oh, okay, uh, music is accessible digitally now. Yeah. And there was a period of time where I just, 
I would go to my iTunes library and I would hit the recently purchased and I would just hit shuffle oh. and just be like, whatever I bought in the last three months, I'm just going to listen to that Hell on yeah. shuffle. Oh, um, so it's interesting. The soundtrack did for Blues Brothers 2000 did go gold. It did. The, the um, soundtrack was far more successful than the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah the film, I think, may, it, it cost like 50 million dollars or something and it made like 14 it, it was a no, oh no, it's thir- they made uh it was cost 30 000, 30 million and they made 32 million oh right yeah, oh. Inter- internationally they made yeah. 32 so, so they kind of just eked it out but it also gets complicated because like with budgets, budget you double like, it. marketing yeah. like i really do wish like the I, it, it's very that frustrating that it. when they talk about budget they don't include marketing because yes. it's really hard to judge a, a film success without the complete budget total being yeah you just have to infer Fur, you know, and so you just that you just you're the rule with box office is like double the amount that they say it costs because that's about what it costs. I to feel like most movies, depending on the situation, though, it could be a little less cut and dry. Yeah, oh, because yeah. for marketing, the I mean, sometimes depending on what it is, they could market something related to the movie that's not the movie. Mm-hmm. But then, at what point do you draw that line to have a consistent ruling? Whereas, if you go by just box office, then at least you know that the number from each movie is going to be pulled from the same data well, and not and subjective. Like most recently, we have the Barbie movie, which yes. is an unqualified yeah. success, but at the same time... It was everywhere. Mar- was everywhere. It was yes. marketed. Well, and they also got a lot of free marketing because Margot Robbie, as a spokeswoman, like wearing different outfits was like all yeah. over. I consumed oh, yeah. that Social media, media as a so whole, hard. the last yeah. like two to three weeks has just been a lot of Barbie yeah. Well, it's and it, well, it's hard because like and some Ken. of it is some of it's marketing and some of it's actual social media, ground floor, grassroots. People love this movie, so they're sharing it and they're resharing and they're resharing uh, these like internet memes and like creating and uh, it's only gotten uh, more intensified after the movie. Yeah, yeah, and I mean a lot of that is uh, built into the cost, and most movies aren't going to have that same experience of being so overly marketed. I think this yeah. movie in particular, they kind of tried to bury mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem like anybody involved. It's a with February this was, release. A February release is not a vote of confidence. Yeah. And uh, uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem like anybody was particularly happy with how the movie turned out because John Landis and Dan Aykroyd wanted to make another R rated comedy. Not, you know, again, the blues brothers is an R rated comedy. It's not like super hard. <laughs> it's mostly anything, language, but it's, it's got some language, you <laughs> know, that's about it. Okay. It's got some language. The amount of scantily clad women in this, yeah, and like, and not just like more ooh, this. snippets. Yeah. There's the, like, what two full musical numbers with scantily clad women, like just at a casually, strip club, like um, y- yes, um, a classy exotic, strip club, exotic dancers. But, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a problem with scantily clad women, but it just seems like they oh. they would have gotten chilly. Um, right, a weird double standard because Look. apparently the studio insisted that this movie focus more on fantasy elements and be more accessible to kids hence the addition yeah. of a child blues brother that is exactly what i would say the first blues brothers needed was more fantasy elements yes. and a kid obviously every movie is improved so by a precocious moppet this is an interesting thing because i discussed this with my flatmate promise you um listeners someday you'll meet him yes um, he is real um i don't know i've that, never met them uh, <laughs> is um i personally don't always like the child precocious child trope no. however my flatmate loves the surrogate father trope and so these mm. are battling tropes and i do think the blues brothers 2000 straddles a fine line because this child can sing and this child can dance and, um, okay i'm gonna push back on this real yeah. quick okay i want to talk about buster blues because i left this movie as i did the first time i watched it i left this movie feeling like this kid is a cypher like we never really get the moment where they bond we never really get the moment where like he needs to endear himself or the we never get to see him discovering blues or revealing that he has this great talent like he only sings at the very end and he's not like i'm not trying to be mean to a kid but like it's a normal singing voice. Well, no, and I'm just saying his that he's not he's not bad. No, like he's not and that's bad. No. so that my bar for precocious children is very low. And he also wasn't very precocious especially towards the protagonist towards the blues brothers and everyone else. 
uh, he was mostly precocious to the people that they were being precocious to, and it was like, all right. I mean, yeah, most of the he, time he's just kind of there. Yeah, not he, really contributing much. Unlike like, in I think some, he, had he really brought the house down with his <laughs> when he like debuted his singing voice, that would have kind of justified his existence a little bit. But he's just like an enthusiastic kid, <clears throat> and that's that's about all. At least, get. Like, yeah. and I, again, I'm not trying to pick on a child actor. Yeah. It's not his fault here. He's he's perfectly fine. He's a great dancer. I don't believe he actually played that harmonica. No, he did not play that harmonica. Uh, Uh, At least there wasn't any scenes where he was directly, irrationally stopping them from doing things. That's true. He was always along for the ride and at times directly helpful. Sleeping in the trunk of the car. Yeah, a very nice setup. He slept a lot. But then he also, he pickpocketed the police colonel to get his wallet so they could buy the car. Yeah. Um, And then there was a couple of other times where he directly participated in hijinks or he gave Elwood a motivational speech to get Elwood to give everyone else a motivational speech. Right. Like he he was a part of the group and not an opposing force. He's so much more subdued and I feel like the the same thing can be like the only one of the Blues Brothers that gets an arc in this movie is Cab. I disagree. I think um is it John Goodman? Mac. Yeah, yeah Mighty Mac. Mac. Mighty Mac. He starts off as a bartender, and he's like, oh, you can sing, man. Um, and then, like, he's actually, I feel like he's criminally underused in this movie. Yes. Uh, because he's such a, do you believe it when he hugs the little boy even more than Elwood? Um, like, their hug has more meaning uh, than the Elwood and him hugging. Because, well, that's not who Elwood is. And, no. And so I just, like, and this is the thing is, like, sometimes about, um, like, this movie doesn't really have character arcs except for they try to shoehorn like um family like found family in at the end yeah with uh with the little with buster uh which again i personally think there exists in the world in the, some alternate universe where this movie was made without that child yeah. and i think that would have been a better movie i think so yeah. yeah and i mean i i agree good john goodman criminally underused i think he is kind of filling this role because they're like all right we need like a big guy who can sing and exude a little bit more warmth than Elwood does, you know, because yeah. that, that slot has been lost. And so it, it feels like once they filled that slot, they didn't bother developing him any further because his arc is just bartender who wants to sing becomes a singer. And that's that happens. And that, yes, we don't see the tension growing. Uh, I think that this movie probably should have been named Blues Brother and Friends <laughs> because it's genuinely the movie is about Elwood. And the movie's about him getting people to do stuff with him, and that's it. Like, it's not necessarily about the people similar to in The Blues Brothers. Uh, Once they get the band members on their side, the band members just become background characters. Yes. They don't really get a whole lot other than the occasional, like, why are we doing this? And then uh, it's not even a major thing that often, like... Uh, nobody gets a major part after that. No. Um, except for me, like when they're playing the music, they're out on the stage. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's, it, it's a lot of characters to balance, and I get that. And it I, is. I get well, the I think efficiency, but, but here's they the didn't, thing. They didn't take, they only took one character and looked at them, and then Elwood didn't even have a journey or growth during the, the movie. No, um, not really. Didn't even really have much well, of one in Elwood, the first movie. I would but... say Elwood is more of a cardboard cutout of Elwood compared to the first movie yeah uh because like at least he hits on that girl he's got some game of his own he, like uh riz as the kids call it yeah he, he has some objective well he has an objective and he um like and i do think this movie suffers from not having a mission from god mm-hmm. uh and i'm not saying that they necessarily needed to repeat the same thing uh but like it would have been great if they got one reason to put the band back together like um i mean even if it was earlier on, if he like, oh no, I've heard about this battle of the bands from like all my time in prison and I've always really wanted to go. Uh, you know, something as simple as that, I think would have been a little bit nicer to hang their hat on. Right. Because I, I was taking notes while watching this and I'm like, I realized that <sighs> if you speak kind of broadly, you can describe the plot of this and it's the exact same as the first one. So follow me along here. Uh, Elwood gets released from prison. 
He visits the nun, decides to do a show. He gets the band back together. They have to coax Matt and Lou away from Aretha Franklin. They need to disrupt Mr. Fabulous at his respectable new job by doing something embarrassing. They need to get mistaken for a country western act. They evade criminal enemies, inclu- they evade enemies including criminals and law enforcement. They run and racists. Of, they run afoul of some racists. The chief racist gets killed by a vehicle falling from a great height. <laughs> they engage in a massive car chase, and all of this culminates in a big performance with a bunch of blues and souls luminaries. That's the same movie twice. The slight details change, such as magic being a very prominent and very real part of this movie. But only for like... 25 to 30 of the movie's two-hour runtime. There's no magic the rest of it, except for maybe when uh, he gets called upon by Jesus or whatever and he flies up in the air. Yeah, I think that that's about where the magic starts. Yeah. Before then, you can interpret everything as like, this is a musical number, this is, you know, it breaks away from the diegesis, but then in the, the that scene where he literally gets sucked into the sky, turned into a blues brother, and returned to the ground, from then on... It is just pure comic book like magic stuff. It uh the general plot of this particular movie to me kind of reminds me of the uh the world's end from the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. Of where it's literally it's one guy getting his bros back together just because. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily because it's in their best interest or because there's a real reason to do it. But it's just like, this is the thing that I do. I This is what I do. I have to get the boys back together. Yeah, I think I did miss why they needed to win the Battle of the Bands. What were the stakes here? They Because he wanted to get the band together to be a working band again, and he needed to justify to the band that they could get paid and that this could be a job. Um, okay, so it, it wasn't like a, a save the orphanage kind of moment. No, they established the orphanage. Is it gone. was very selfishly driven. Of I want to, I want the band to get Which back I together. I think that's the end of the world. If it that not. was his it's thing, not. I just think that the problem is, is Elwood is not a loquacious person. No, uh, but at the same time, I think that they could have been like, uh, you know, like. I've been in prison and I all I've thought about was getting the band back together um, and and I think that would be perfectly legitimate uh, now moving on to the fucking soundtrack yeah okay we need to talk about the soundtrack because all these little quibbles that we poke into the plot holes of this movie and there are many uh, those can kind of go away when you think about just the sheer amount of talent that's on display in this movie. We do have the returning kind of gratuitous guest stars. I think everybody but Ray Charles of the surviving yeah. uh, people came back. But then we also we supplement Ray Charles with uh, Wilson Pickett and uh, Eddie Floyd. And I love Wells. that song and I love that dance number. Yeah. The love line, oh my gosh. I had so much fun singing along to that. And then looking at all the the ladies uh, in their house coats dancing on top of cha- uh, uh, desks. It was just like... So delightful. Oh, so good. And just such a weird moment to be in the middle of this movie. It's like we're going to visit a phone sex line where it's a bunch of like frumpy middle-aged ladies pretending to be like uh, porn stars. And it was a weird kind of It was also it was just setting up that song, basically. The color scheme was also drastic. It was very bright and popping. Kind of like the uh, like Aretha Franklin and her friends, yeah. Uh, but the rest of the movie's a little more on like the drab side. It's a little and made so for TV looking. It, right? it yeah. was it was fun. It yeah. was very fun to go from this drab to like we're gonna have some good music, we're gonna have some bright colors, and we're gonna have some fun here. Um, I I just realized I was wrong. The the church moment is not the moment where you go full magic. It's Riders on the Storm when they summon yeah, literally ghost I, cowboy demons. I ghost cowboys from the sky I, with horse snorting fire and that, brands made of steel that caused it to rain. So they as, had an actual impact on the real world, which means they broke the barrier. As I was watching that scene, granted, again this is before the rest of the magic. I was just like, okay. This they're just playing the music and a storm's happening and this is like imagination like this isn't this isn't what's actually happening because nobody was reacting to the horses in the sky they were just reacting to oh it's kind of windy out here yeah um, and so in my head I was like oh okay this is just cool imagery to go with the song it was like watching a music video yeah. you know that didn't actually happen uh, and so I never even thought about it in the context of hey music is real. 
or yeah. uh, magic music yeah, is magic. real. Music is real. We never would have known, uh, but that magic was actually going to happen and not just be yeah tricks in the sky. I mean, um, but uh, uh, again, magic happened earlier because we got yeah. to hear the pop stylings of Blues Traveler. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, who I actually I owned a Blues Traveler CD to get back to CD conversation, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that was, again, just a random non sequitur. Hi, we're a blues band at this motel. We, we're big fans of you. Can we play a music video as you leave? Well, and I think that's the thing is that they, if they had dialed up the eccentricity and the magic and, like, if they made it more camp, if they dialed up maybe four notches, I think this movie would be a cult classic today um, in the way that the original is a cult classic. But they just needed to, like, the music is a classic but they could have made the movie a classic by dialing up that sort of eccentricity kind of to the level of like little shop of horrors yeah Yeah. okay yeah because i i think the studio made a very big miscalculation in trying to make this a kids movie because they didn't even really commit to that no they wanted it to be something that would appeal to kids but I cannot think of well, okay, except for hot band guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't think of anything. Like they still dropped some with... shits around, and yeah. they they wasn't like this movie would have. This, was this PG thirteen? Yeah. Okay. I mean, and but it's just it, it's it's not so much about the music. It's mostly that this is a movie with a lot of old people. Yeah, and the, the like, kid like the kids aren't going one to kid who like look out with old people. Yeah. Uh, I can't appreciate all of the names that you've been saying because I don't know who these people are other than like having heard a couple of their names before. So like I when you're saying all of these things, I'm like, I don't know which person you're talking about in yeah. the movie. Well, so like but, some of the some of like I, I do think the female representation was a lot better because yeah. blues started off as like in the 1920s as like uh, female blues musicians um, like revolutionized music. And then there's a, a huge shift away from female blues musicians, um, even though that they're literally the source of most modern pop music. Mm. Um, and so Coco Taylor and Erica Badu, like it's nice that and Aretha Franklin, uh, it's nice that they had um, I mean, again, it's not 50 50. No. Uh, it's a far cry from 50-50, but still, it's really like Coco Taylor's the queen of the blues. Like, I almost made you listen to one of her songs, Insane Asylum, yeah. before we started, because I was like, Ooh. you guys don't understand this woman's voice. Which person was Coco Taylor? Uh, she was the older woman who sings in the um, uh, Louisiana, Louisiana Gator, Gator Boys. Boys at the end. She's wearing this uh, red dress oh, with okay. lots of beading on it. Gotcha. Right, I, I have just... For blues fans out there, I have the full lineup here of the Louisiana Gator Boys, just so you know how stacked this concert is at the end of the movie. This full band is Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood, B.B. King, Isaac Hayes, Dr. John, Charlie Musselwaite, Gary U.S. Bonds, Bo Diddley, Clarence Clemens, Lou Rawls, Coco Taylor, Travis Tritt, Jimmy Vaughn, Willie Weeks, Jack Chajonette, Jeff Skunk Baxter, Tommy Pipes McDonald, Grover Washington Jr., and Paul Schaefer. That's like a ridiculous amount of people. To Paul Schaefer was the musical producer, and I was he really was. surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. He he actually played in the original Blues Brothers band when he was on SNL, but he couldn't do the movie the first time around. So he made sure that he got into the movie this time. And so he got to play the master ceremonies and do a very uh, goofy Cajun accent. <laughs> and he was having a lot of fun. But I have a distinct memory of watching this movie with my mom, and like they get to this part, they play that music, and they're like, Oh, well, they don't deserve to... Like, the Blues Brothers don't deserve to win. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? How are the Blues Brothers going to top this? And then they don't, to be fair. They yeah. don't win. Because, of course, they wouldn't. Yeah. But they still have a good time. They still have a good time. Well, and it's like... But they also, at no point, is money ever mentioned. So I'm going to guess that they probably don't have money. Um, they don't. But, you know... <laughs> they, def they definitely didn't get paid from the one show where the hurricane uh, appeared over them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like, not to transition from music, because I'm going to definitely go back to music. No, please. Um, is that uh, the level... I'm a little sad and a little shocked that I missed all the car chases. Yeah. Um, I like in the original, it was sprinkled throughout. Uh, in this one, they just have one massive pile up. Yeah, and it's it, it is an incredible amount of cars, you know. And it's a they they specifically we mentioned last time they used 104 cars to beat the record from the original film, which was 103. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's the first movie that's over a couple of car chases that are spread throughout. You have the mall scene and then the downtown Chicago scene, you know, and there's a, a dynamism 
to those car chases. And this one, it literally just looks like cars are being catapulted into a big pile. <laughs> Like yeah. Off screen, like it's it's kind of funny the way it looks. It's like gratuitous, it, but it, it is also like, all right, let's just get this all out of the way here, you know. And it, it is an impressive amount of carnage, well, but it still feels a little. Fun. And I don't want to transition to the game, but not a single one of these games, one like the NES, the Super NES, or the Nintendo sixty four had a car chase. Insane. They didn't even have a car. Yeah, there should be at least one vehicular stage or something, you know, or like, or at yeah. least like, you know, at the start of a stage, the car is in the background. Like, hey, we just got here from the car. But yeah, at no yeah. point. Literally, the Blues Mobile has no feature in any of the games. No, which feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, you know, so yeah, we, we were talking about the music. Like again, the Blues Brothers are kind of the least interesting performers in the Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> Which is sort of like the point, but they get a little bit more to do. We haven't really mentioned Joe Morton. Uh, he gets to play Cab in this movie. He's uh, he's the one who gets like an arc. He's the long lost son of Curtis, their janitor, yeah. kind of father figure. He's now a police officer, and he spends most of the movie chasing them until he has this literal come to Jesus moment. He turns into a blues brother, and then they just go on from there. Uh, I love Joe Morton. I think he's amazing. Uh, I, I grew up watching movies with him because he um, he's the captain in Speed and he's Miles Dyson in Terminator mm -hmm. 2. So like he was in these movies that were on heavy rotation for me. His death in Terminator 2... Oh gutted absolutely oh god the, yeah. it's just like like a fish dying it's just like so fucking sad Ooh, oh ugh. he's real good i I'm, love joe morton and he's a good singer like a, they actually offered to let him join the blues brothers band in real life after mm -hmm. this and uh he he opted against it just because he wanted to focus on acting but he's good and he's fun and it is nice that there's like a person of color in the mix finally because the Blues Brothers do appropriate a lot of black music. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's, they're making it popular in a way, but they are also appropriating a lot of that culture. And to be fair, most of the band is diverse. Yeah. However, uh, it does not center around any of them. So, uh, no, only two guys. There's only, there's, it's, it's all white guys except for two. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, yeah. Not three, technically. In this. I was say, I feel like. Oh, yeah, I guess three. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it took a while. I, guess, and I, yeah. I think that was uh, something that they were focusing on early on in this movie when developing. Like, yeah, if we're going to add a Blues Brother, let's make him an African-American man and like we could have a little representation. Unless you're playing the game, in which case the Blues Brothers band is not even human. Yes, yeah. They <laughs> it's are just a random assortment. A couple of bonies, yeah. Um, um, yeah, do we have, uh, are we ready to transition to the game? Do we have anything more to say about the movie? I feel like we probably could talk about the movie for a while. There's a lot going on uh, in this movie. I want to talk a little bit about the character arc. Uh, like, So he starts off as a commander in the Illinois State Police, this, yeah. bi this big enemy, which I just think that is like, I, I don't, I, I see why they did it. But I think it would have been a just a better like again. I Monday morning quarterbacking this movie like crazy, <laughs> which I normally don't do. But like I just think if he was just a person, I think it would probably have been a more compelling story than to him. Like his whole change, his whole arc is like a revelation from God, yeah. and like that. It's not like him gradually like listening to the music and oh, getting no. moved by the music. It's literally a revelation from God, and literally he doesn't even change his own clothes. No, um, they're, they're divinely changed. I mean, if I listen to James Brown um, and the 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 incredible choir, who knows what would happen to me? Maybe my clothes would change. But um, <laughs> uh, but it was just like um, real wild. Like, yeah. um, and it's also super weird. The, the like again with this legality thing being like, oh, he can't kidnapped a child what are we he was the nun asked him to take care of the kid for a while two hours two yeah hours. she asked him fair. for two hours and then the child disappears and it's just like i i know there's a lot of magical realism at this era in the late 90s um early aughts where like children were just like well, I mean, that goes back to the 80s and, like, before. Yeah. But, like, these magical children who are just, like, I'm I can, I'm just tagging along. I'm just a little moppet. I want to learn from you. I'm going to be Mr. Blues. Yeah. No, that's my perfect impression of Buster Blues. I'm <laughs> right there. Man, people don't need to watch the movie anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, yeah, I, I don't think the kid really adds anything to the dynamic. But, like, I... the Blues Brothers bits are good you know yeah. they're fine they're fun well, and i really so 
I loved the cowboy dancing uh, at oh, like yeah. in, uh, uh, and I love Funky Nassau as I mentioned earlier, uh, because like he lists all the very non-blues genres that the Blues Brothers plays in, but has like we'll never do Caribbean, and I'm like, oh my god, this, I don't know. I just thought that joke was really funny because like we've mentioned it before, is like they do go very far afield. And I, they, they did have a moment earlier where, like, Elwood's giving his whole speech and he's railing against all modern music and just saying, like, we're just leaving kids with, like, soulless pop and hip-hop music and stuff like that. And I'm just like, all right, we don't need to be so grouchy about this. Yeah. Because like, your whole thing was embracing, like, a musical genre that you love. So it's like, why are you why are you dumping on everybody else? And I, I th- this movie suffered a lot from just never committing enough to plot ideas and plot lines. For instance, with Cab... Yeah. Uh, they, there were things where like he was calling his mom and trying to figure out if this story was true about him being actually having a different father, um, and at no point do they actually commit to that enough to show growth. Yeah, it's just he doesn't believe them. He doesn't believe them. Presumably, he finds out the truth. I, yeah. but then he still like he doesn't change until he hears somebody sing. Like, yeah, nothing. There's never anything that he initiates that. And it's the same with like everybody. Pretty much. There's nothing that with the kid. There's not enough with the kid. There's just so many things. That uh, I love it when Aretha Franklin sings respect. And then at the end, she's like, oh, if you're going to be a sad sack about it, you can just go. Yeah. I mean, I, look, it's one of those weird things where, like, the the first movie was not tightly plotted either. You yeah, know, but yeah. it, it was felt, very sloppy, but it felt, it felt way better. It, it it had a little bit more like youthful energy to it, and there's a there's just kind of a tinge of sadness well, about them coming back. I think uh, as much as we criticize the length of the last one, I do think the first one feels shorter than the second one. Yeah, and I think that's because of the action. Like there is action and Mm -hmm. the musical numbers uh, and they sort of and there's um, by underusing John Goodman, uh, they really don't show off the dynamism between the like the the Blues Brothers and and the compatibility. Like they should have shown um, a lot more back and forth talking uh, between the brothers and really like I know they're not brothers, but like between the I don't know. They, they had a, they had a between Blue's brother and friends. Yeah, they had a comfortability between uh, Belushi and Aykroyd. Like that. Yeah. They felt a little more lived in. In this and, movie. And these, these characters explicitly have no shared history. They're all new to they, each other. They have no shared history. And in the first movie, you have some banter, even if it's just nothing talk. It's like they're not talking about anything relevant yeah. or important. In this movie, they never do that. I love John, like cheaper to keeper is. Mm. I it was a great song. <laughs> yeah, like and, and I'm. Then, I've always liked John Goodman, and just like you oh, said, sorely underutilized. Oh my god, did and you guys see sing. him as a villain in that uh, underground movie? Thirteen Cloverfield, 13 Cloverfield Lane. Lane. Yes. Oh, that's my oh, favorite performance. I loved it he's so much. So scary such a good performance, and like, uh it's just like, oh my god, he's like, I like, I just horror always gets short drifted yeah. or short thrifted at the Oscars but like I just think that man deserves an Oscar for that movie I was really hoping that he was going to cross over for that one yeah that movie is so good I, that. that was one of the because again we didn't watch a ton of movies with my parents uh, That I watched that one with my mom and my, I think my mom was like into it which yeah. is unusual because usually she's doing something else while we watch a movie or whatever yeah. she's not super into it we there was a Harry Potter marathon at one point and she's like you know I couldn't tell you what happens in any of these movies and I'm like, <laughs> you have seen each one of these at least six times over the course of your lifetime and you don't remember anything that happens in any of them like yeah same thing I with Lord like- of the Rings like she's like I just she doesn't pay attention to movies and so uh, it was just wild to me but this one she was like in it yeah um, but yeah uh, John Goodman deserves better yeah presumably I I think he does well I'm pretty for sure himself. I think no. he does well oh, yeah. for himself I he, just, he's, he's, he's done doing what he can he has he hasn't had any incidents or anything right nope okay. Then, like even going back to Good. like Roseanne did. Oh uh, yeah, she did. <laughs> but, no, he. He's, and that's that's when I got introduced well. to him. My yeah. my family loved watching Roseanne, and so mm-hmm. that was my John Goodman introduction. I was like, 
this guy's great. No, he he seems chill. He like seems he, chill. He's been very open about he's had a lot of struggles with uh, alcohol, and he's been uh, in recovery for that. Uh, I think he's doing very well. There was one point that I wanted to make that you, mm-hmm. you touched on a little bit, which was in the first movie, and again, I do not remember their names. Is it Willie and Aretha Franklin? Uh, no, Matt. Matt. Murphy. Matt and uh, Aretha Franklin. In the first movie, it was like, as I was watching that scene, I was like, is this their relationship and it's fun and they're just like ribbing with each other or is he kind of being a dick? Uh, but this this one really kind of hammered home the, oh, fine, you yeah. go do the thing. Yeah. Uh, it really felt like their relationship was healthy and positive and they did like yeah. genuinely like, all right, yeah, go I mean, have fun. It's 18 um, years later. They're still together. They're they're successful yeah. business people. Um, and so I, I thought that the way that they handled that was cute. I loved when she's just like, ah, fine. Yeah. Go go have fun with your friends. And she actually seemed to be kind of excited for him a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. This is good to see. Just don't. He, she just doesn't want him to go back to prison. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, no, that's obviously. very fair. Yeah. Because boy, howdy, from... When she first was like, oh, fine, go do the band thing, I doubt she expected him to go to jail. <laughs> well, and as we've seen, prison is full of mental patients that you need to guide with a remote control to get their vaccinations. And There's all these jumping platforms. And there are guards that are three times the size of the average human being. They're gigantic Everyone In case you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about this game. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this game. Uh, Blues Brothers 2000, which was released at November 17th, 2000 on the Nintendo 64 only. And it was developed and produced once again by our good friends at Titus, the Fox. How do you think that they went into a crunch? Because, like, guys, <laughs> we can't let this one slip into 2001. Oh, really, <laughs> like, look, they, they didn't really do it close. right with the movie. We got to do it with the game. They cut Please. it very close. All right. <laughs> so uh, some, a lot of people listening to this may know I used to host a uh, show called Ultra 64. And on that show, my co-host Woody Siskowski and I, we played every single Nintendo 64 game, including this one. So I have podcasted about Blues Brothers 2000 in the past. Uh, and I'm excited to revisit it and talk about it once again. Uh, so when at the end of the show, we kind of aggregated our lists of our, our rankings of the games so we could make kind of the definitive final list of the rankings of Nintendo 64 games. This one came in out of 297 games. This one came in at number 249. Ooh. So not great. Not great. But it also could have been worse. Like it wasn't the very bottom quadrant. Um, <laughs> I feel like from the very first moment of this game... You just start off in a room. I knew what the rest of the game was going to be like. Because I immediately was like, okay, this seems like a Banjo-Kazooie clone influenced a little bit from Mario 64. And that was it. You nailed it. (laughs) The whole thing. Now, the... Minus the the buddy. But, yeah, you were just Banjo, no Kazooie. It it is nicely ironic that this game actually did come out in the year 2000 to correspond with the title... But it does make it two years late for the movie. A movie which was already kind of a flop. Uh, The game was originally supposed to release in October of 1999, which is, again, too late. (laughs) The ship has sailed on Blues Brothers 2000, the game. But uh, they persevered and they released the game eventually anyway. And had they released it in 1999, they might have actually scored like a little minor hit out of out of it because that was the peak of when people were buying Nintendo 64s. You know, it was 1999. That's when all the best games were out. Uh, by 2000, the PlayStation 2 would have been out already, so people were switching to that. It was a significantly more powerful console. Uh, so the the N64 from here on out is just kind of on a death march until it's done. Uh, so this is this gets kind of lost in, the, in that shuffle. You know, it was released with almost no fanfare, with basically no marketing, and just kind of existed on shelves. And uh, for that kind of game, I will say I found this one more playable than the other two Blues Brothers games that we played. I don't know where y'all come down on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it had... It was a different time for games uh, than modern. I mean, they've all been different times for games, but it was it was a time where like they had mostly figured out controls and how to make things work. So the the camera is better, but it's still a bit clunky. Yeah. 
Uh, the Nintendo 64 controller at the time was fine. Now, every time I touch it, I feel like I am just slowly being tortured while I use <laughs> so, it. So, t- I need to interrupt you there. Yeah. This um, hope may shock you, but this was my first ever N64 game. And I'm so glad that this is the and way we introduce you. I- I have, I think I'm a little anti N64. Uh, we, we, we got you off on the wrong foot. Yeah. Got you off on the wrong foot. There, a lot of the games that were higher up on that list, most likely, uh, are higher up on that list because they were more entertaining and they handled the camera and the controller better. It felt better to play those games. Yeah. Um, but the a, controller is nonsense. Though. It is an absolute <laughs> nonsense controller. I will be the first to admit. Look, that. As there's someone who almost. I have an N64 tattoo. I almost got that controller put on my arm, <laughs> uh, which would have been uh, a little more my personality. I think now. That I think on it. There, it's a very clear reason why there is basically no other video game controller shaped like the Nintendo 64 controller because it wasn't the best idea. Yeah, you can't tell uh, the gender of most other controllers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <This one. laughs> Nintendo has for a long time been known as the company that just tries stuff. That's true. The Wii yeah. was wild compared to everything else. Um, I every time we do this podcast now, uh, I am doing it on top of a GameCube because yes. that's I want the mic stand to be a little bit taller. Um, but like they we always told them that you could just kind of stretch the pole up because it's just fun. I mean, it's if I put it, if I stretch the pole all the way, it's still just a little bit too low. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so this controller was one of those things, and at the time it was fine because we hadn't had better. Yeah. And then we had better when the PlayStation 2 came out, and everyone was like, all right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> We're never doing that again. <laughs> but, you know, it is it is an interesting way to uh, introduce yourself to this system. I can assure you. I can assure you. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're saying that there might be better N64 games than Blues Brothers 2000? <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm something of an authority, and I'm going to say yes. <laughs> there appears to be at least 200. <laughs> Yeah, or 48 are better than this game. Uh, you do not want to see the ones that are worse. Like, um, to, to put this into reference, uh, I just pulled up a list because I'm like, this was kind of the era where I was getting into video games. Yeah. Um, 2000, the year that this came out, uh, had you know Diablo 2. Yeah. That game, huge game was huge. Massive. Still to this day, Diablo is a big name. And yeah. people were playing Diablo 2 a lot. Yeah. As early as like, as late as like five years ago. So like um, you're probably not taking a break away from that to play Blue yeah, Brothers 2000. The Sims had just the came Sims out. Ma- still uh, massive in this house anyway. The Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Yeah. One was already out. The second one. Came I don't out. think we're gonna argue that the but, PS2 was a pe- work of no, it's amazing. Like, it's such an interesting time to release <laughs> this game. Yeah. Because at no. this point. Everything that it did was already done over again. It, it kind of feels like a tax write-off in a lot of ways. Like, we got to get this thing out the door so we can say we produced something in the third quarter. Yeah, whatever, like, but... there was a contract that had to be fulfilled or something. Like, um, all this being said, this is far from the worst game we've played. Oh, it's oh, definitely yes. far from the worst, from the worst game. game. I, it's at least playable. It's playable. Uh, it's got some, like interesting mini games uh interesting like because some of them are not politically correct no uh some of them are very shocking um literally Literally. uh especially in the prison system uh the the opening um level is in juliet prison um and yeah, yeah. It's, it's an accurate depiction of uh, the prison system. It's, uh, and how it has multiple floating. Platforms. It's also pronounced Joliet. Oh, like, excuse me, like yeah, a man boy Joe. who didn't know that the prison was there. <laughs> how often do I think about prison? Not very. I didn't are, go to prison we are very ever. Very different people. I've are... never even been inside a police station other than when I found a license plate on the street and turned it into the police. And they were like, <laughs> what do you want me to do with this? And I was like, I, this belongs to somebody. I don't know. Okay, square. Oh, <laughs> enough of your squareness. Um, but yeah, it. Yeah, there's definitely some moments in the game where you're like, eh. 
Well, okay. Well, firstly, it's a very heightened art style. It's a very cartoony looking uh, rendition of these characters. And I didn't mind it. Like, it's, yeah, it's ugly, but it's consistent, you know? Like, they, yes. they picked a style I wouldn't have picked. They all look a little bit like Ren and Stimpy characters, and they're just, you know, whatever. They're going with it. Uh, I will give this game credit for having a little bit of variety in their gameplay. In the first level, you're going from room to room in the prison, and there's kind of a different challenge in each room. So, in one of them, you need to just, like, find the punch through your way through some vents in the right order another one you need to this is the politically incorrect part we talked about you need to help a nurse inject patients with sedatives by guiding mental patients on a using a remote control that's like reverse oriented <laughs> it was real ick it's yeah real weird and the uh, the depictions of the mentally challenged people here are not very uh, uh favorable favorable or, or uh, uh, great uh, classy yeah but uh there's also uh some enemies in one of the rooms where their hair is like standing up and i was like what what's the deal in here and someone's like Did they, have they been electrocuted and then they get electrocuted <laughs> Like, because this end, this this enemy, this person is just a prisoner that is just periodically getting shocked. Yeah, I think. And if you're touching them and they're getting shocked, it hurts you. The implication is that they just came from the electric chair, but I think that game is misunderstanding what the electric chair does. It's it, uh, a lot of like weird, interesting, like hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to a more positive uh, aspect of the movie, there is some really good blues music. It starts off with Sweet Home Chicago. Yeah. Um, and like the music is, uh, it doesn't have the charm of the first um, uh, um, Blues Brothers uh, game we played last week because yeah. it's not like digitized but it's like it's definitely like um it's like an in-between digitization in between like a, a regular like it's yes. an awkward level where it's not 8-bit but it's still like midi it's still yeah. not actual instruments being played uh but it is much better tone and much closer to the actual music and there are some vocal samples too occasionally you'll just hear the backup singers go it's cheaper to keep her like in the background and it's just like i don't think i think i think you're misremembering i think you sang it's cheaper to keep her i swear I, to god i, no, I, I heard it too oh okay i i think you two both it, said it was cheaper to keep her and I you didn't. were hearing your own voices i definitely did there. i promise it's there i'm not crazy i'm not crazy i tell you uh, don't try and remote control me towards that nurse. <laughs> don't put me into the padded it. room. Also, when the nurse would pick up the, the patients, she would just grab them by the neck and throw them around. It was like, oh. Oh, yeah. And an extra charming detail. Uh, after you help her with that, you need to beat the shit out of her and take her keys. Yeah. It's a wild game. Um, yeah. However, the levels after the prison uh, seem to be significantly better because they are just game levels. Yeah, we, we looked ahead. Second, It's four levels total. Second level is just the streets of Chicago. Third level is a graveyard. And then the fourth level is the swamp. Yeah, and in each one, there's a mini game to practice rhythm to teach the Blues Brothers how to be a show band. Yes. and yeah, they, they don't know how it works yet. When, once you're out of the prison, I think the Banjo-Kazooie uh, comparisons become even more blazingly obvious to the point where you're actually collecting musical notes that are using the same graphical style as Banjo-Kazooie. Um, yeah, and you're, you're hopping and bopping your way around these cities collecting these bits and pieces. And the cool thing about doing a Blues Brothers game is that all right, so for the N64 era, a lot of games like this were, we call them collect-a-thons, you know? You, you run around grabbing different MacGuffins and Googaws to level up your what's it meter, you know? It's, it's lots of stuff like that. And this is a movie that comes with a built-in premise. That's like basically the whole middle act of both of these movies is collecting Googaws in the form of your band members. So that could be a great way to structure the game. And it is the way it works to a degree. You find a band member, they teach you a dance move because there is a rhythm action uh, component to this game that is a little confusing. But the thing is, the band members do not reflect any of the band from the movie. What are they? It's, it's two Frankensteins. A, One's a like skeleton. a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, a hillbilly wearing a traffic cone on his head. That's, it's, it's a hat. 
It's a it's hat. brown. They, interestingly enough, they do have um, the cowboys from the Funky Nassau um, it, do participate in the final boss battle uh, 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 dance off. And and you have like an Erica Badu, like the the Queen yeah. Queen Mousset. Yeah, Queen Mousset. You have her in there too. You know, like. But you do get to the final showdown, and it is not like a battle of the bands. It is a dance-off between Elwood and one of these cowboys. And and then once you win the dance-off, it just goes to a performance of Elwood and this assortment, the motley crew of creatures. I thought it was interesting that the skeleton wasn't a drummer. Uh, The skeleton had a trumpet. Or at least on the xylophone. Yeah. Exactly. Like that feels like a missed opportunity. Are you stereotyping uh, skeleton musicians? There's no lips. Skeletons don't have lips, so they can't pay the trumpets. You know what? Good point. Great point. I really didn't think about that one. They are not suited for a wind instrument in general. Yeah. Brass. It's a brass instrument. Oh, excuse me. But wind goes into it. It's not made out of wood, though. Sorry, I'm not a band boy who loves. Blues Brothers. <laughs> Jeez. God, play a clarinet uh, once. No, no way. I played, I played drums briefly in a sixth grade band, and then my parents took those away from me. So, <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, uh, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. That's... Um, yeah, no, this game is pretty wild. It's, it's uh, not a disaster to the degree that, like, you might think it would be. Like, it is baseline playable, if very lazy, very derivative, and extremely silly, uh, which I think can kind of describe the movie as well. Like, both of these are things that have reputations as total bombs, total disasters, and you watch them, and it's like, look, is this as good as the original? Well, in the game's case, it's better. But in the movie's case, no, it's not as good as the original, but it is serviceable, it's got a great soundtrack, and it's fun if you just want to kind of play the hits, you know? Um, the game, however, I think is more playable and more enjoyable than either the NES or the Super NES versions of Blues Brothers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's... They're definitely better than the other two. Yeah. yeah. I walked off cliffs a lot. You did. You definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I have a drinking problem. <laughs> I can't walk in a straight line. Uh, well, do we have anything else to say about Blues Brothers 2000 before we close out our second miniseries? Listen to the soundtrack. Listen, yes, I, yeah. skip, the, skip, skip the movie, get the soundtrack. Do we, are we going to rate it? Yeah, let's give this a rating. So uh, I'm actually curious where everyone's going to come down on this because uh, we've, we've talked, I've talked myself into and out of uh, this movie a lot over the course of this episode. So uh, each week we are ranking our movies and games. We are ranking them on a scale of good movie, good game, to bad movie, bad game, and then everything in between. Where are we landing on Blues Brothers 2000? J-Bam, why don't you start us off? So I'm going to use this card, and I'm going to use this card sparingly oh, in our, the course of our uh, endeavors, and I'm going to say Childhood Rose-Tinted Glasses, great movie. Great movie. Jumping and leaping uh, good. And I... Again, I just like it was so intrinsic to my childhood, uh, dancing whilst I was doing laundry to cheaper to keep her. Like I, I loved this movie. Um, I have no ability to be objective on whether or not like it's actual filmic qualities because I just love it so much. Yeah. Um, game, I think it's okay. Uh, I, I'm. I'm I'm a little bit like sparingly of my good game. I, I give out uh, it pretty sparingly, uh, but um, I'm not sure if that's the way that's supposed to work. But you know, this is a, this we is haven't a... had many good games. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> there may not be many. Ratchet and Clank was the best so far. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's my rating, and that those are my caveats. Great, Justin. Uh, how about you, I'm definitely gonna go with okay movie bad game okay yeah um and i think having played more n64 games i think yeah that's valid yeah when you compare to some of the others yeah i'd rather play blast core all day yes absolutely absolutely i'm i'm in the same well i don't know i can't say i'm in the same boat because both of you are in very different boats i can't straddle both boats i'm not (laughs) jean-claude van damme on two boats um i am gonna say Bad movie, bad game, uh, with provisions that I kind of enjoy both. 
But I think objectively, if we're talking about like, I don't have the same uh, uh, childhood memories of this movie, but like, and I think the structure is just so derivative and very repetitive and just kind of uh, a lesser shadow of the original. That being said, it has a lot of great music and some fun moments that are, it's, it's not a movie you can completely throw away. And same with the game, like derivative, boring, uh, a little pretty ugly, um, but it has a goofy kind of charm and it tries a few things, which most of these games that we're playing uh, don't really bother doing that. Uh, but that concludes our series on the Blues Brothers, another short little mini series. Some of them will be a little bit longer, but there's a lot of movies that are going to be in like two and three packs like this. So glad to get another series taken care of. Uh, but next week, we've got a fun one coming up for you. We are going to be talking about the 1988 fantasy film Willow. Uh, Willow, a movie I deeply love. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. I don't know if I've ever played this game. So. I've heard of this movie. Oh, you'll, you're going to have a good time with Willow. If you like uh, high fantasy, sword and sorcery kind of goofy okay. nonsense, it's a lot of fun. Could I, be fun. Yeah, and it's a little sexy, too. It's a little oh, sexy. Okay. It's a little sexy. We're talking Warwick Davis? <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, we will see you next week to expand on my thoughts on Warwick Davis as we talk about Willow. We'll see you next time. That'll be the only thing we talk about. It will be the only thing we talk about. Bye, everyone. Bye.